and welcome to the Bring Me My Books podcast. I'm Christy Kane, one of your hosts, and I am here with Travis Lowe. Hey, Travis. Hey. How I'm, you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to dig into this book with you. I can't wait to hear what you think. I know. I know. This is a book. So the book, number one, is A Hole in the World. And uh, so some of you, if you've been reading along with us, kind of where we are in this book is we've read the introduction through chapter four, and that's what we'll be talking about today. But before we get into that, um, I want to go back a little bit to kind of what we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's called Bring Me My Books, because it's just the second, it's just our second podcast. Yep. We're still kind of baby podcasters. So um, tell us quickly where the name Bring Me My Books came from and maybe what we're doing. Yeah, real quick, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's in prison nearing the end of his life. You can imagine all the, the pain, everything he's going through, and the, the thing that's on his mind. He's writing a letter to Timothy, his son, and he says, uh, says a couple things. He says, bring me my cloak, yeah. bring me my coat, bring me something that brings me comfort, mm -hmm. and bring me my books. Yeah. And, uh, and I just love that because uh, books have always had that special place with me. And I think through this show, we're hoping uh, to share books with people. So I, I think that's part of it. I know we were talking that it'd be kind of neat to uh, share some of the things that are bringing us comfort. Yes. Uh, so how about you, uh, you start that? Is there a cloak? Is there some books that uh, you want to mention? Well, I think a stack of books, like, I mean, I guess it's why we're doing a books podcast. <laughs> a stack of books always brings me comfort. And I always have more than I, I think that's so typical though. I'm not unusual um, in that, like, I just love to see my little to be read, to be read stack. Right. Um, so that, but, um, if we're talking about books in a cloak, I think the thing that's bringing me a lot of comfort, and sometimes I'm going to make it lighthearted, but today I'm going to start off with a serious one, is um, Sabbath, the Sabbath rest. Um, you know, we're in a really busy phase. I have three kids. I have one in college, one in senior in high school, one's in middle school, and they're doing lots of stuff. And then, you know, you add that to working full time, doing little side things, having friends, being a part of a church. When you just throw it all together, there's just a lot going on. And, and I know that's true of most people in our society. Yeah. And so I would say it's a habit that I kind of took to when over 20 years ago when I was in graduate school. And I said, when it hits 6 p.m., this is what works for me. 6 p.m. on Saturday night to 6 p.m. on Sunday, I'm really just going to do things that I enjoy. And I'm not, I'm going to, if I have to force myself <laughs> not to do anything that's work related. And so I'm really, like, I find myself these days, that's my cloak. Like, I'm like, oh, it's, it's almost six o'clock on Saturday. So that's mine. What's yours? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, during winter, uh, the colder time of the year, um, I've never really been like a coffee person uh, very much, but I know uh, just recently I have had some friends kind of introduce me to, uh, you know, good coffee and, yeah. you know, all those people, the, the coffee snobs. Uh, mm -hmm. But there is good coffee. There and is not good, good coffee. coffee. <laughs> there really is. There is a difference. And I think I'm just learning some of that, but. Um, to just slow down, um, I've probably been more of a tea drinker in the past than coffee, but to, to just sit down for a few minutes uh, with a coffee or with a tea, and um, I don't know, there's something about just kind of feeling that warmth and yeah. just enjoying the smell, enjoying the taste, and it's, you know, it's similar to Sabbath in that it's just a, um, just a pause. 
That's true. Uh, you know, a Selah from mm -hmm. uh, Psalms is just a time to take a breath. And uh, that's been something that I've enjoyed more here yeah. recently. Yeah, I think winter brings us those. Winter kind of gives us a chance to take a breath because the days are shorter. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and my wife makes an in incredible apple cider and I love to do the same thing with that and yeah. just just yeah. sit and quiet and look at, you know, look out the window and, and just enjoy something warm. Yeah, okay, so that's our, those are our cloaks. And so now we're gonna get into our books, Bring Me yes. My Books. And so the very first book, like I mentioned earlier, is A Hole in the World. And, um, and I, okay, so you, we talked a little bit about in the first episode, how you came across this book. She was recommended to you. I have an interesting story. I, I think I've told you this story, I'm not sure. But um, so a friend of mine, one of my very best friends, her husband, it's been almost three years now, passed away from cancer. Um, and so we we have since moved away from that town, but still we've still we're we've still remained really good friends. Her husband actually was one of my best friends too, and certainly my one of my husband's best friends. And so um, that was I would say my first real encounter with close grief from someone who wasn't a lot older. You know, it, it right. felt like this was really not supposed to happen now. Three young kids. Yeah. And so this was a book that she recommended to me uh, probably a year and a half ago. Oh, and wow. I know, and I hadn't picked it up yet. And it, it is a book about grief if you haven't read it. And we'll talk about why I pick a grief, grief book first. But, um, but it was a book that she recommended. And so when you, and I had just like, you know, kept meaning to pick it up and just didn't. And so when you suggested it, I was like, it's time. It's time to read this book. So let's let's jump in. Um, we're gonna have to kind of go quickly through it. But the advantage of having all the social media discussion is we can keep dialoguing long after this podcast is over. But we're gonna cover the introduction through chapter four, and I want you to start with this introduction that's about. Um, her walking into an Ash Wednesday service, and she's not high church person. So for all of our readers, you know, you, maybe you haven't read it yet. This is not, she's not coming from that perspective. But give us a quick synopsis or what you gained from the introduction. Yeah, so I, I kind of took, and what I would encourage everybody, if you're reading this, if you're just starting, pay particular attention to the beginning. Um, so where she starts in the book is where she ends in the book. Yes. Um, so much, she starts out talking about mountains. She talks about Roan Mountain, where mm -hmm. she lives and where a lot of these stories happen. There's so many stories at the beginning that she uh, ties up at the end. And to me, she talks in that story of the Ash Wednesday um, about, uh, you know, trying to find her way in and the uh, during COVID-19 stuff and there were different things and she goes out and she just uh, kind of walks through the uh, little maze thing that they have. Um, but this book feels a lot to me like going for a walk in the woods is kind of how I think of it. So w where I grew up, we were close to the Appalachian Trail and we would go and we would park your car and then you'd just go and walk and you could walk as far as you wanted to walk. And then you would turn around and you would walk back. and you end where you started and that's kind of what she does here and there's a lot of ups and downs and there's places where it's hard um, but the the beginning meant so much more to me in this book when i read the end oh, and yeah. um, especially like the second time through when i was reading it mm -hmm. i was seeing wow 
I didn't realize that we started here and I didn't realize this came back together. So that was one of the things that stood out to me. Uh, but yourself, uh, like you said in the last episode, you kind of grew up in kind of a, a lower church then you uh, were into kind of a yeah. more of a liturgical church. So when she was talking about Ash Wednesday, was that yes. uh, something that kind of brought meaning? It was, and you know, I didn't know a lot about Ash Wednesday growing up, and right. I would have just said that. Well, that's for those that's for those Christians over there that don't do things the way that I do things. <laughs> um, but it it is a annual reminder um, of our mortality. It's an annual reminder that our lives are not in our own hands; that they are in God's hands, and that our beginning and our ending is in Him. Um, it's a very somber moment, but it's, um, I, yeah, it's, it's been very meaningful for us through the years because we don't like to think about these topics. No. And it is a moment in the church history that says, no, you're going to pause and you're going to think about this topic. And in some ways, that's what this whole book is. It really I think is. it's like a moment, like we're going to think about these things that as Western Christians, we do not like to think about, yeah. but in such a hopeful way, I think right. so. Um, and that was one thing uh, I always recognized when I was a pastor. I was always so thankful for that reminder. You walk with a lot of people through grief. You attend way more funerals than anybody else does. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I, I always I always thanked God for that because I think having that reminder of our mortality is really important. And like you said, we live in a world that wants to ignore it, that wants to pretend like we're invincible. Uh, so... If it's all right, chapter one. So basically what she does is she goes back uh, throughout history and around the world and finds grief rituals. Yeah. And what grief rituals are is it's just different ways that societies came up with to help people deal with grief. Mm -hmm. And some of these were really interesting to me because they seem very foreign. It wasn't something oh, yeah. that I was used to. Mm -hmm. um, but it, what was so neat to me is she finds these in places all around the world but she's able to find so many of them in the Bible. And these were practices of believers mm -hmm. that were dealing with grief. And, and I don't know that I'd ever recognized how much grief was dealt with in the Bible until I was reading this and uh, the different ways that people did. The first chapter to me was incredible. It's on keening. Uh, what, is, what is keening? Well, I'd never heard of keening before <laughs> this book. And um, this is very contrary to my personality. So I was brought up that you you hold your emotions very quietly inside you don't I, like my dad is a pastor and he's a he will cry when something makes him emotional in church but other than that there's just not a lot of emo i mean well even for the pentecostal church i always felt like we were the pentecostal church that wasn't as we weren't as emotional as them but in society in general i think we're told we're if you're going to be strong then that means you're not going to display emotion and keening is a whale it, yeah. and in short, it is a, a, a grief wail that someone who comes into the family and the, the grievers of a person who's just lost someone, and um, they're typically a midwife. It was a typically a midwife. This is a church tradition from Ireland, and they come in and um, they just they lead the family in this explosion of their emotions. Yeah, screaming. Yeah, and um, we would say so unsophisticated. Right. Right now, we can't, we couldn't imagine. In fact, the church put a stop to it um, it's, uh, at some point because it was undignified and, you know, all kinds <laughs> of, all kinds of things. But, um, 
but that's kind of what that's in short yeah what Keening and is. what was wild for me was that she shows uh, throughout the old testament that this was a practice and in ancient israel they actually had uh, people who it was their profession yeah. uh, to cry right. to wail the wailing women yeah. go and get the wailing women when somebody passed away they would bring the wailing women in and i think what it was partly it's this it's giving you permission yes to grieve so these are professional people who come in and they just begin to scream and to cry you know i think of it sometimes like church um i would never get up in front of a room and sing but if everybody's singing and i can sing and it's not like i'm standing out you know i'm just a part of it like it it gives me permission to sing it gives me the freedom to sing good or bad you know i can just do it but I think this is kind of what this was. They come in and they scream and they cry and all of that toughness that you've been holding up and all that, you know that you can just let it go and you're not gonna be the focus for a minute. You know, you're not gonna stand out, uh, but you have that room. And I don't know that we, I don't know that we give that room to people. I don't think we do, certainly not in that way. And and um, and I, I, I noted a couple of things that she said is, to wail is in fact the only appropriate response to the horror of death. So I think it's an acknowledgement that this is really terrible. This is yes. against everything that God originally planned yeah. for his people. And so it is a like a tragic insertion of something that is, is awful and not really meant to be. And then I think the keening on page 27, she says, sometimes we have to allow grief to have its way with us for a while. And Keening yeah. kind of did that. Okay, so um, before before we break, is there, is there one more thing that from this chapter that was just maybe well, a think, favorite for you? I think the thing that stood out to me, she goes into Jeremiah 9 and uh, talks a lot about um, God is basically giving a prophecy that things are getting ready to go bad. Yeah. And he says, call forth all the wailing women. He tells all the moms, all the moms, teach your daughters to wail. Yes. Uh, it's this really wild uh-huh. section. But then what he does is he turns it around and he begins to say, I'm the wailing woman. Yeah. God says that. God says, since my people are crushed, I'm crushed, I mourn, horror grips me. I would weep day and night for my people. I will weep and I will wail for the mountains and take up a lament concerning the wilderness. It's this really wild passage, but I love what she says here. She says, God, not too proud in his glory to veil his anguish, not too arrogant and detached detached as to be unaffected by grief, not so lofty as to reject being associated with the perceived vulnerability of an emotional woman. Yeah. said grief is God's labor and I love I don't know it did something to me to think of you know it's okay mm-hmm. for me to wail it's okay for me to cry yeah. um, I think our society maybe we've got this wrong idea of strength mm-hmm. but if it's okay for God yeah to cry then it's okay for me to right right um, and in fact she says we would do well to apprentice ourselves to this master mourner uh, yeah and and so I think you're right. Like we kind of got it. We've gotten it backwards. Like we've gone in the wrong direction yeah. when it comes to our response, being able to engage. And I that. think that's one of the questions. Like, I love this picture of God. And I would ask like our audience, what are some of the pictures of God uh, that are the most striking yeah. 
You know, like I'd never imagined God in this way. Yeah. As the welling woman, the one whose job it was to just to yeah. cry out. But what are some of the other pictures of God that stand out to you? And we'd love to hear from you um, about that, especially some of the, you know, maybe we have the ones that we've heard all the time, but what are some of the, the more obscure ones? I'd love to hear that. That's great. That's great. So be thinking about that as we go to our break. We're going to hear a brief word from our sponsors and come back and finish discussing the last couple chapters of, of A Hole in the World. Yeah. Situated in Bluefield, West Virginia, the Hopewards Writers Conference seeks to equip and encourage their patrons to tell stories of hope. This year's conference will focus on the question of living between cultures and the unique potential it holds for creativity. The conference will offer many exciting guest author speakers this year and can't wait to learn what God has been speaking into their lives. Come with us and help us tell stories of hope. LifeSpring's Resources is committed to providing innovative learning resources for the local church. Our products reflect our commitment to the development of new and innovative ways to experience scriptural truth. Whether you're looking for material for your small group, need new curriculum for Sunday school, or you're just trying to stock up on church supplies, we've got you covered. Look for us online at LifeSpringsResources.com or call us at one 800 541 1376 and our friendly customer service team will be happy to assist you. Welcome back to the Bring Me My Books podcast. We are talking about a hole in the world and we're covering the introduction through chapters four. Um, we're never going to have enough time to talk about all the things we want to talk about in this book. I think we both agree that we, we do like this book. I mean, I'm sure, yes. like I said, we'll encounter some that we don't. But um, chapter two, I'm going to jump right in if that's okay and sure. talk a little bit about chapter two. So as you mentioned, each chapter covers a ritual. Most of them are rituals that um, are associated with her like so her traditions whether that is or her culture whether that's western european or her Bibli or or being a believer in christ and so um this next one is covering mirrors and the um and the the thing that she emphasizes here is change and how grief changes us and um i'm it makes me think of that quote that just says time heals all wounds and we know like she mentions in here somewhere right. that no that's not really the case time changes us and and maybe we our grief changes but we never really let go of our grief and it might in fact it gives us scars very often um but in this chapter on change and covering mirrors one of my favorite parts is um it's around, let's see, around page 38. And I, I like mythology. And so she's pulling from a Celtic myth uh, about a girl named Miss. And in short, um, Miss, her, her father is killed in a battle. And she, when she finds him, when she discovers him, it sends her really down a very destructive path. She actually becomes like a monster as a result. No. And, and you just need to read it if you haven't read it. It's, I love how she tells the story. And, uh, and so she talks about how, again, how she kind of enters into this madness and, um, grief how grief changes it but then as you go on she said well how does the story of miss end and i love how she was brought back 
really to reality and to her humanity through this. She talks about how a, a young harpist came and found her. He played his harp. He offered her bread. He took her to the pool to wash her clean. He kissed her and held her until eventually over time she transformed back into a lovely woman again. This is probably my favorite part. Um, on the bottom of page 41, the young harpist guarded Mrs. Humanity. He called it forth. He was present and patient. And Miss was remade by love. And I think in some ways I love that because that is, as we go through grief, I feel like that's almost a synopsis of this whole book. As we walk through grief, it changes us. We become different people, but it doesn't have to be in the end, it doesn't have to be a sad story. It can be right. a beautiful story of hope, of how love, how God, of Christ remakes us. And yeah. so that's really beautiful. Um, the other thing, and I guess I'm not talking a whole lot about the mirrors, but we, we can talk about that if we have time or online. Um, I, really wanna, this, I, I really wanna point this out because I think some people are gonna wonder why in the world did you choose A Hole in the World, a book about grief for your very first book on a podcast. And I, the reason is because God talks about grief that first and not in the sense of chronologically creation, but a lot of theologians, she points this out, think that Job was actually the first book ever written. Yeah. And, if, and because God's addressing the problem of pain from the very beginning, he knows that we're gonna suffer. Life is going to be a, in some ways very hard. And so I think that it's um, only makes sense that we would, with all that's going on in our world, in our lives, be willing to address um, pain and sorrow as well. So. Yeah, if we ever slow down enough uh, to really get introspective, that question's gonna come up. Exactly. It's going to be there. It's there for all of us, and we need to think through it. And yeah, I, I love that. Um, I love what he says that we realize that you know death and grieving is strong, but um, you know he says there uh, um, she was loved back to life. Yes, death is unyielding, but as the bridegroom Solomon writes, so is love. Yeah. And I love that love is stronger than death. Right. Um, Love that. Chapter three is on telling the bees, and this is a really uh, neat thing you see uh, throughout uh, a lot of Europe, England, um, but in different places where when somebody passed, they would go and tell the bees. So if they raised bees, if they had uh, hives, they would go out and tell the bees what had happened. And mm -hmm. they said if they didn't, that a lot of times the bees would leave or the bees would die. And, um, uh, they thought that this was uh, this just became something that they did often. They would sing it. They would uh, sing a song. But kind of what she says, and we don't have a lot of time to get into it. But it's it's this idea that in the middle of this tragedy, tragedy in the middle of the wailing and everything, it said you can't approach the bees unless you're calm. Yes. And so in the middle of all of that, you have to find the courage to be able to just calm yourself for a minute. And to just honestly say what's happened. Mm -hmm. And then I, I especially love chapter four. Um, she calls it sitting Shiva. And it's this idea that um, Jewish people for uh, about a week after a death, they don't let the grieving person be alone. Mm -hmm. And so people just come to your house. And she said, it's really intrusive, but they just come. And they don't really have to say anything. They kind of follow your lead. Um, 
but when I was pastoring, that was one thing, um, and and I think it's really important. We we don't always know the right way to do things. We don't always know the right thing to say. I think sometimes we're so scared that we'll say the wrong thing that we don't say anything. Um, but as a pastor, you were expected to show up when somebody had uh, when somebody had died, when somebody had passed away, and. I had a pastor who was kind of a mentor to me, and uh, he told me, he said, what I normally do is I'll go to the store and I'll buy a dozen donuts. And then I just show up at the house and I bring the donuts and I sit down on the couch. And I said, what do you say? And he said, I don't say anything. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I just sit there. Mm -hmm. And if they want to tell stories, I tell stories. And if they don't want to say anything, I don't say anything. Yeah. I, I remember my first real encounter with, uh, with death as I was around 18, 19 years old. And the pastor at the church where I was saved was um, going through cancer and his body was just wasting away. Yeah. And we would go and sit with him sometimes uh, when he was sick. And, and usually during that time, he, he didn't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. And you would just sit and be quiet. And uh, I remember one of my friends went, and he's one of these guys that he just couldn't shut up. And so Brother Morris was there, and the guy's talking to him and everything, and Brother Morris said he got up and he went to the kitchen. And the guy follows him and just keeps talking. And he said he eventually got up from the kitchen, and he looked at him, and he said, you should have brought a book. And he went (laughs) to his bedroom and closed the door. (laughs) Uh, but, But I think of that, like, um, it was so important for the fo- for the people to just have your presence, yeah. and you didn't have to say anything. But I I recognize that there, this time, right before death and right after death, kind of became this this you know real thin space mm-hmm. um, where people would open up to you maybe more than they ever would at any other time. I, I remember one time in particular where I was sitting with a gentleman, and he was just hours from passing away. And we had talked, and then everything became really quiet. And then he looked at me, and it was almost like I, I don't want to say it in a way that comes across wrong, but it was almost like in that moment he was, he was in the presence of God. you know. And he begins to tell me things that I found out later he had never told his family. Yeah. He had never told anyone. There were a lot of things that he, it was like he just had to, uh, to get off of his chest, and he just began to talk, and it was just the sweetest thing, and I, I didn't say anything, yeah. and I just listened, and then, and then it went quiet again, and then it was like he was talking to me again, yeah. and then a few hours later he passed, and when I was able to share those stories with his family, they couldn't believe the things that were told, but I think that, I think there is like that thinness of space, that, that in-betweenness, Mm-hmm. Um, that's around, as we said, in Keening, around birth and, and, and death, those times of life beginning and ending. Um, but I would challenge people. As a pastor, it was challenging to me. It was hard to put myself in those spaces, but it's one of the things that I, I, I really enjoyed more than anything. And, and I don't know, it's, um, God just feels so real in those moments. Yeah. And I think one of the things that she comes back to a lot is the importance of community and, yeah. and walking through these steps together. And in some ways, the, that we've, when we lose the rituals, we, we lose the ability to know what that next step can be when we don't know what to do. Right. But these rituals give us 
a step. And, uh, and I kind of think she does that as she elaborates. So I hope that you're finding this book to be helpful. I, I think we are. I mean, yeah. you, you as a pastor have walked beside a lot more people than I have. But, um, but even I'm even finding that as I encounter, as I go through this book and talk about this book and encounter people who've lost others who are close to them, that it, it just as the rituals give her, gave her guidance, like I feel like her explanation of this and going through and what we learn from the rituals, even when we don't implement them, can kind of give us a guide for how to be when it's us, but then also support and love one another such as this. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. If you um, if you're looking for more interaction, I hope that you'll go to the Bring Me My Book social media pages that we have available. I know that Travis threw out a question right before right before the break, so go ahead and engage in that question. Share your favorite parts of the book, um, the things that are becoming most meaningful to you. And if you're looking for a place to buy the books, you can buy them at LifespringsResources.com. They're all all the books are available there. You can go ahead and buy them all at once or one by one as you discover. Um, but at the end of the day, we hope that you'll keep reading with us and joining in as we go through and uh, as we, the next couple podcasts, we'll be continuing this book on A Hole in the World. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.